Eric and Carolyn. Hello, Tom. Hello, uh, Carolyn. It seems that every consciousness being carries within itself a reward and punishment mechanism for the quality of the choices that it makes. When we make low entropy choices, we tend to feel good. And when we make high entropy choices, we tend to feel bad. So where does this internal feedback mechanism originate from? It seems to be inherent to consciousness, not just limited to the PMR avatar. Did this mechanism naturally evolve in consciousness or did the LCS at one point consciously decide to program this into IOSCs? If so, has the system ever experimented with different types of feedback mechanisms? Well, it's not something that's programmed in. It's something that just naturally occurs. So when you are interacting with other people and you, can I say, you know, that interaction is negative or the interaction is, 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 um, not helpful, then that just naturally creates a standoffishness between those two people. It's going to create that negativity is going to create a, a dysfunction between those two people. And that dysfunction then is not only a personal dysfunction, but a social dysfunction because we humans are social animals. So then that spreads. So I think the, this feedback, you do things that are, that are uh, high entropy and basically you end up in situations that don't feel good because high entropy is negative. High entropy is destructive. High entropy is pulling apart. High entropy is self-centered. So when you do things like that, that are dysfunctional, then what happens is you create dysfunction. So if you're a dysfunctional person, you create a dysfunctional world around yourself and you interpret things dysfunctionally. And pretty soon you're a very unhappy person, kind of mired in dysfunction of your own creation. So the feedback is just a natural feedback in a social system. When people are all interactive with each other, they affect each other. Any dysfunction between any two or three or more of them tends to spread. Makes more people unhappy. You know, if you're in a, if you're in a family of four people and you and say your, your brother are fighting all the time, well, that's a, that's a downer. That's a drag on the whole family. Not just on the two of you. That's what I mean. Dysfunction tends to spread, pulls in, pulls in other people into the dysfunction. So that's just, I think, the natural consequences of being dysfunctional. It creates unhappiness. So maybe I didn't get your question just right. Do you want to say it again or did I get close enough to satisfy? Yeah, but like I was just wondering like where it originates from. Like is has it always been the same mechanism like from the beginning of uh, time or is there other also have there been other mechanisms or is this, is it also the same mechanism in other reality frames and for other entities? Give me a, an example of this mechanism. So yeah, I know just what you're talking about. The feelings, the emotions, like that it feels bad if it's dysfunctional and that it feels good when it's functional. Well, feelings are just another way that consciousness expresses itself. You express yourself in many ways. 
Feelings is one of those ways. So feelings are just natural to consciousness. It's a it's a natural it's the natural aspect of being aware is that you have feelings about that awareness and what you're aware of and how you're interacting. So the feelings are just a natural part of consciousness. So I think that's why the feedback when we say the feelings are the feedback, really the feelings are the way in which you express the feedback. The feedback is you have to deal with the reality you create. You know, that creates the feedback. You're not alone. You're not just an island all by yourself. You're in a social system. And as you do things, the things you do reflect back to you. If you do a lot of ugly and nasty things, then you get a lot of ugly nastiness gets reflected back towards you. So the feelings are are how it's just like the awareness. You have them just because you're conscious. And they, more than anything else, they, a lot more than your intellect, really reflect how you're doing. That's why we call that the feedback, because the feelings are rather clear. The intellect's never clear. The intellect's always spinning stories and making things up and, you know, coming to beliefs. And the intellect's always going to spin a story to justify something. But the feelings are just what they are. They're at the being level. And they're straightforward and are an expression of who you are deeply. So I think that's why it is. It's just natural aspect of consciousness is to have those feelings. They're not given to especially as a feedback tool. We just use them as a feedback tool because they are connected to our inner core. And we can't justify them and unjustify them. They just exist. So our intellect can't play games with them. Okay, thank you. That's where what I wanted to know. And then okay. my second question is um, about the differences between men and women. Like, could you talk about how women's different instincts cause them to work with their fears differently? And could you also talk about how right brain and left brain people tend to work with their fears differently? And in terms of working on our fears, would you recommend different approaches for men and women and for right brain and left brain people? Well, in working with your fears, I would tend to encourage people to try everything and see what works best. Every personality is not just between genders, but every personality type, every individual is going to have to approach working on their fears in their own way. It's not just a gender thing, although there may be, you know, generalities we can make about gender. But for the most part, how you deal with your fear is just personal to you. And it, it transcends gender, but try whatever, whatever works, whatever is, you know, whatever is successful at letting you actually let go of a fear. You know, we talk about the intellect. Well, the intellect will often justify your fears, blame them on somebody else, uh, you know, sidestep them. The intellect can do all those sorts of things. But you also can use that intellect to get rid of fears. You can just have that intellect uh, catch yourself every time you start you start a, a fearful behavior. That intellect can step in and say, no, don't be that way. 
back up, go in another direction. And that's using your intellect as the as the guardian, the thing that's that's watching. And as soon as it sees some fear behavior, it tells you to stop. Don't go down that route. Back up to where you were and do something else. <laughs> Say something else. Feel it differently. And yes, that's your intellect telling you that. But eventually, after you, that happens hundreds and hundreds of times, it starts to work its way through repetition down into your being level. And you stop being that way. So the intellect can be a tool. And if you're a very right, a very left brain person, that intellect's probably your favorite tool. If you're, if you're not a left brain person, if you're a right brain person, say, then that intellect may not be your favorite tool. Your favorite tool might just be feeling. And when you feel yourself not feeling happy, not feeling joy, you wonder why. Why am I feeling off? Why am I feeling sad? Why am I feeling hurt? Why am I feeling these things? And then you'll back that up to the fear and you say, oh, that's why, because I'm afraid of this. I'm afraid of that. And then you try to get rid of that fear. So how you approach it just depends on you. I wouldn't say that male and female, they do think differently. They do interpret reality differently. But as far as getting rid of their fears, fears are personal. And you just have to get rid of them in any way that works that works for you. Okay, thank you, Tom. That was really helpful. All right, so I guess I'm next. Hello, Tom. Hi, Eric. So my first question is, um, does our tendency to be right-brained or left-brained come with the avatar or with the IUOC? So I'm trying to come to a better understanding of which aspects of us are part of the consciousness and which aspects are part of the avatar. So, for example, in terms of the characteristic of being right-brained or left-brained, some people come into the world with a tendency to be more right-brained or left-brained. And as you've said yourself, as a child, you were very right-brained and you've had to work a lot to develop your left brain to the point where it is now. So was your tendency to be right-brained a quality that took that you took with you from previous lifetimes? And does the fact that you've worked so much in this lifetime to balance yourself out mean that in your next lifetime you will come in as extremely right-brained and left-brained? Like the part to me that's confusing about all of this is that in general men tend to be more left-brained and women tend to be more right-brained, which to me shows that at least part of it's comes with the avatar and its instincts as well. So how does all of that fit together? There are, you know, it, it, there's not a simple answer to it, Eric. It's not that, oh, it's just because of this, you know, it, it doesn't have that kind of a simple answer. The avatar does come with, you know, set does set limitations on what the consciousness can do. So the avatar and however all those, you know, uh, Genes and chromosomes, you know, mix and match and come together to create, to create another avatar sets a whole lot of constraints on what that avatar can do. So you have genetic constraints. So you may have an avatar that is mentally retarded, say, which is a, a kind of an extreme, uh, leap, not right brain or left brain, but, uh, dysfunctional brain, you know, not, not, not whole brain, say. And then that, Consciousness will have to play that avatar with that limitation because that's a, a, 
a biological limitation. Okay, so the, the biology of the avatar, the biology being the rule set, the rule set of the avatar creates some limitations on what the avatar can, I mean, what the consciousness can do with that avatar. So you have that connection. But you also have the connection that consciousness leads and, and the body follows. You know, the material world follows from that. So if you if you uh, are an IUOC and you're logged on to an avatar, you can actually help that avatar change the physical constraints. So let's say the avatar comes with physical constraints. You can work with that avatar such that those physical constraints dissolve, go away. You can develop your brain different ways. Different parts of your brain can, you know, can grow bigger or better or smaller or whatever just because you have an intention for that to happen. And you have an intention, the intention being with the consciousness. The consciousness has an intention and the physical world follows, tends to, tends to move in such a way as to make that what's intended more likely to happen. So you see it works in both directions. It's not just a simple thing that it always comes fixed in the avatar or it always comes fixed in the consciousness. It's a, it's a cooperative um, interaction between the avatar and the rule set and the consciousness that makes choices, but can also change the probable future into that, you know, that avatar can modify itself. So you have both of those. It goes, it goes both ways. But I suspect that the next incarnation that I have, I will come in more balanced than when I got here. So I got here out of balance in the sense that I had had several incarnations where basically I was very right brain. And now this time I needed to hold on to that, not let that go, but also develop the logical side, also develop the, the, uh, the left brain perspective of things. Because until you have the, the logical side engaged, you'll never explain anything to anybody else. Because the way we explain things to other people is through our logic, not through our feelings. If feelings will, will describe how we feel, but to really explain to somebody something they don't understand or something they do understand takes words and meanings and definitions and, you know, uh, which is all the, the work of that left brain, putting all of that stuff together in a logical, meaningful way so that somebody else can understand it. So I needed to develop that, that side here sort of came in with that mission and had to work on it. So I think I'll be more balanced next time because I developed that. So I think a lot of that was part of the consciousness came with that bias toward being right brained just because that's what I had been in the last several uh, incarnations. So I was kind of, you know, had developed myself in that direction. Now I had to balance that developing myself in, in other ways. So that, that left brain or that right brain space is actually 
more of the space you live in after a while. You live more in, a, in an intuitive world as you grow up. And the intellect becomes a tool, one of your major tools that you use to work with. But you tend to live in that intuitive space. You know, that's your home. Your home's in the intuitive space. But if you don't have those skills in the intellectual space, you're very limited into what you can do, particularly how you can explain or how you can interact with other people. That requires analysis and judgment and all the things that, you know, belong into the, into the intellect, not just being, but how to configure yourself and your words and what you're saying so as to project meaning to other people. First, you have to understand those other people, you know, and you're, and you need to you do that through the intuitive side. The understanding comes intuitively, but then how to use that and put it together in such a way to communicate to those people. The intellect has to take part of that. So the two work together. So there isn't just a, a simple answer. It's all part, you know, the development is very fluid. And our brain is pretty plastic. Depending on the pressures that we, we push on it, it can be and do all manner of things. So our intentions make a big difference for how, for how we are and what we need, what we need to learn. So the things that we mostly are not are the things that are hardest for us to learn. <laughs> the things that we already are are the things that are easiest for us. So it's the things that we are not. We have to focus more intently on gaining those those things, that, that understanding. So if you're extremely left brain and logical process is what you do and you live out of your head, then it's going to be some effort to, you know, live more balanced life in the in the right brain side. So you, you get that intuitive side working and developed you know, more reliably, something you can depend on, something you feel comfortable with. It's going to take a lot of work, but I think that stays with you. At least you have access to that. Now, maybe if next time I happen to get an avatar that has a, a very strong proclivity one way or the other because of the biology, it would just mean I'd have to work a little extra hard to bring that around to, to use it the way I needed to use it. You know, so you just work with whatever you have to do the best you can with what you've got. And that's, that's life. All right. Thank you. Yeah. That, that clarifies it a lot. And um, I have a next question, which is, it's kind of related in terms of the consciousness first and then avatar second. It's a bit of a silly question, but there seems to be a tendency for old couples to physically look like each other. And the same thing with dogs and their owners. And sometimes there are children who remember their past lives and manage to find pictures of who they were in their past life. And there seems to be a tendency for their avatars to look like each other. So, of course, all this is based on limited data. So I don't know for a fact if this is actually a thing. But if it is, then what could be the mechanism behind this? Like, I don't see a clear reason why avatars from different experience packets would look like each other. Well, that's because... As you mentioned, that's because intention and mind can modify the physical within the, within the uncertainty that the physical has. So 
you might not start out looking so much like each other, but after 50 or 60 years of being together, you start looking more like each other. Well, that's because you probably like the looks of each other. You know, that's your significant other, and you like that look. You like that feel. You like that connection. So because that's a positive, then you tend to head that direction yourself. You tend to get more like that. And the other person does the same thing. So it's whatever holds your positive intent is what you feed you know, to the, to the system for a higher probability of occurrence. So maybe you didn't start out with high cheekbones, but maybe by the time you, you know, have been with somebody with high cheekbones and you really love them and, and care about them for, you know, 60 years, maybe those cheekbones have just creeped up your face a little bit and now you have them. And that's something you share. So I think it's just a, what happens when you have positive and, you know, when you have intentions that are positive. And I think you could do just the opposite. If you really dislike something, if you really thought something was not good and not a good way to look or, or, or be, you would tend to change that. Um, I know of a person who at a very young age had brown hair and really wanted to be a blonde and she just put a lot of effort into being a blonde, and eventually her hair just turned blonde because she had a lot of intention that she wanted to be blonde, not brown. So she did. So you can you can modify things like that with your with your intention, but it takes a lot of you know it takes a lot of years, right? You're not going to change that like in a week. You're not going to change that even in a year. You're going to change that very, very slowly over many decades. So the changes have to be subtle enough that nobody notices it at the time. It's not like, wow, you wake up the next day and you look differently. You know, that's not going to happen. But within the margins, you can move the skin a little this way and the cheekbones a little that way and the hair a little lighter and you can do those things just within the margins of uncertainty, tiny little bits that accumulate over years that actually can make those things work that way. So it's a, you move toward what pleases you. You, you move toward what you have positive energy toward. That's what you move toward as well. So I think it probably is a thing in some sense that, uh, um, that people who really, really care about each other for long periods of time tend to look a little more like each other as time goes on. They tend to share appearances because that's a very positive thing. And so in terms of the um, different avatars from different experience packets looking like each other, then it's the case of the IOC having a preference to look a certain way? Could be that that's a, that that is a, that they were happy with that. They were happy with who they were. It was a very positive thing. And if they hold that as a very positive thing, then maybe they turn to, they tend to produce that again because it's a positive image, not intellectually. You know, it's not that they intellectually say, Oh, you know, I want to be like I was last time. It's not in their intellect at all. But if there's a part of them at their, at their feeling level 
you know, at their intuitive level, which is aware of the databases and all the other thing, your intuitive level is aware of all of that. If that's a very positive thing, then yes, they may tend to want to look like that. Or the system may say that uh, it will it will help that avatar. Maybe it bends the rule sets a little bit to get that avatar to look sort of like it did last time, just because that produces some look. That was me last time, and can't you see the resemblance? You know, still same eyes, you know, same same cheekbones, and so on. And the system may do that just as a a little, you know, check that box to make it uh, more obvious to you that uh, that's what's going on. So the system can do those kinds of things when it wants to. It's a virtual reality; it can do anything it wants. So if it wants to just leave that little marker lane there because it's it's uh it's fun or it's reinforcing in some way then it could but mostly i think again it's the slow the slow sense of positive or negative feelings that we have alters things with time so when we when i say that the intent modifies future probability it's all of our intents you know things that come out of our intellect and things that just seep out of our intuitive side as well. It's all of those intentions tend to modify future probability, whether we're aware of them or not. Could just be that, or it uh, could be the system trying to give us a little nudge or, you know, send a message or who knows what. I'm sure the system has a, well, I know it has a good sense of humor. I've experienced that many times, but uh, it, uh, probably also has things that make its life more fun too. You know, all work and no play is, uh, you know, doesn't, doesn't make you a very interesting person. So sometimes I think the system just is playing a bit with, with the facts just because it makes it more fun. All right. That, that was great. Thanks though. Interesting question. Nathan, please go ahead with your question and please read the whole question. I know I've, I have mentioned in the past that, Sometimes we can't read the long questions, but yours is so well-written and heartfelt. I want you to read the whole thing. We have a luxury now of a little bit of extra time that we don't usually have. And so please go ahead. Thanks, Donna. And thanks, Tom, for these chats. I really appreciate it. All right. Uh, I guess I'll read it off here. Um, I'm wondering if you'd be willing to coach me a little bit regarding an experience I've been having in my meditation, Tom. I would guess others in the world are having it too, so I hope it's useful for them. Uh, one kind of meditation I do is to focus my attention broadly without expectations and just allow everything to happen. My intention is to practice surrender and just trust what happens. Oftentimes when having this broad meditation, I experience visuals and accompanying sensations of violence from other entities or from an entity that looks like me. I'm usually unafraid because I have reason to believe all of them are me, since in general I'm working on rage at my being level. I'm making progress on my rage with the implicit help of the larger consciousness system and a loving partner who is really patient with me. And I'm getting therapy sessions and my cultivating intent to heal the rage during the uh, life, daily life routines. Sorry, I'm even getting a, a little bit of affect and emotion coming up. I'm really trying to work on this pretty hard, so I really appreciate your help with this. 
Um, so I'm also just trying to heal the rage during like daily life routines. Uh, I have a long ways to go, but I'm in a place right now where I'm up for a challenge. So it's because the fact I have unresolved rage in me and the fact that the common denominator in all my NPMR experiences of violence is me. I just assume it's me. I've uh, tried allowing the violence for a period of time and also tried doing protection around myself or constraining the entity or representation of myself. And the outcomes have all been mixed. And I suspect that's be probably because more the quality of my focus and being at any given time rather than what I'm specifically doing. So um, each approach of like me allowing the aggressiveness or constraining it or protecting myself, they've all had different benefits at different times. And I'm also seeing their limitations. It feels like a, like a Band-Aid, so to speak. Like there's core issues in me that are needing resolution. And I know if someone has grown up enough, they can do that work directly in NPMR. And part of me would like to try to do that. And also I'm willing to admit it may not quite be there in my development yet. So I've been uh, wondering about uh, other qualities in general, because I know it's less about what do I do in NPMR and more about like what my intention is and being really clear with that. So are there qualities that I can be cultivating in NPMR or PMR that will help me act more intuitively and effectively when those things are happening to me? Uh, I would ask a question, Nathan. You experience violence. Is that violence uh, focused towards you? Is it, is it you know, violence to you or violence that you focus outward toward others? It's probably about... In the meditations, it's pretty consistently me. And then there will be times in daily life where I'm having flashes of violence towards others. And so in the meditations, though, it's almost always towards me. And like it's another version of me, like attacking me or it's like other entities that are like doing different things to me. OK, so what quality should I be cultivating that will likely help me act intuitively? Well, you're probably doing most of the right things now in the sense that you are just letting it go. You're not getting you know, wrapped up around any of the violent scenarios. You're just kind of being detached and watching them play out. They are no doubt expressing conflicts that are inside your own, inside your own mind, inside your own consciousness. The, where the violence is done to you is probably a negative attitude you have towards yourself because you want to change. You don't like yourself the way you are. You want to change. And it's taking a long time. So you probably have some negative attitude towards yourself. And that's expressed as this violence coming to you. You know, get your act together, guy. Come on. You know, you've messed up. You're not doing it right. You need to grow up. You know, you have all this stuff that you can imagine is negative coming at you and you, you feel that. Um, the violence that goes outward toward other people is probably you taking that, that self negative attitude and reflecting it back out to others because that's typically where our, our, our rage our violence that goes out to others is usually just a, a reflection of the negativity we feel about ourselves. 
that's typically the way that works. So if you don't have any negativity about yourself, then generally you don't have a whole lot of negativity about anybody else either. Negativity about self, about not feeling worthy, not being as good as you should be, not being what all you could be, um, somehow being defective or inadequate. All of that stuff tends to come out then as rage or violence toward other people because we, our intellect will trick us into thinking that we can blame our own inadequacy on others, particularly others that make us feel inadequate. Those others that trigger those inadequacy buttons, you know, that's the, those are the people that we bark at and bite because they push those buttons of our own fear about our own failures and our own inadequacies. So that's the way that that usually works. So the fact that you are able to just experience it and be detached and let it kind of run the way it does is a good sign. That's probably step one to get to that spot where you can just watch it play out. You know, it's there, you know what basically the issues are. And now you're, you're kind of a spectator at the games, you know, and you have, you know, the, the, uh, the various sides that are that are going to be fighting or being violent with each other, and you have a pretty good idea of what you know of what the symbology is and what they represent and how that affects you. So that's all the work you've done. You've been working on this a long time, and that's gotten you to the point where you can see all this. So now I think what you should do is try to take charge of it. Instead of just watching it play out, try to try to identify with it and take charge of it. When you see that negative stuff happening, realize that it's not just a movie that you're watching, but that's your you know, rage, you say, you know, rage against yourself for not being what you would like to be or who you think you should be and not being as good as you think you should be. And realize that that's not helpful. Being negative about yourself is just dysfunctional. It's not making you any better. You don't get better by belittling yourself and telling yourself how useless or how you know inadequate you are. That will never make you better. That will just throw gasoline on a fire that's already burning. So if you look at that and you can say, well, that rage is really dysfunctional. That rage is not helpful at all. And instead, maybe this is a visual metaphor, you throw water on that fire. You know, so you see that and uh, you make the, the big wave come in and wash that away. Now we're using tools. You know, I'm giving you some metaphorical tools. So have the big wave come in and turn that fire off. Wash it away. Say, so that's not helpful. That doesn't, that isn't on my path to grow up and grow beyond this. And then when the, when the rage or the violence is projected outside, you know, toward others, it's the same thing. You can look at that and, you know, see the, the same dysfunctionality in it. That doesn't help. That doesn't help me grow up. That doesn't help anybody else grow up. That just is dysfunctional. Everything about it is dysfunctional. So then again, you see that as, Okay, you have this dysfunction, and now this this I, this this rage, this violence, is just throwing more fuel 
on that fire that's burning very dysfunctionally. So then you have your attitude, I'm going to throw water on that, or I'm going to dissolve it. I'm going to make it go away. Whatever metaphors you want to use, you know, open a big hole under it, let it drop in a hole, you know, whatever metaphors you want to use, you need to get rid of that stuff. And just your intent of getting rid of it, just your intent of realizing that's me, that's dysfunctional. I don't want to be that way. Here, I'll open a big pit under it, let it fall in and put a lid on it, you know. It's gone now. It's not me anymore. It's not that you've just suppressed it, but it's not, it's gone. You're getting rid of it. And you're going to live your life without that, without those feelings. So that then puts your positive intent on outgrowing the dysfunction. And in time, indeed, you will outgrow the dysfunction because you will change future probabilities such that you don't have that anymore. You will tend to outgrow it. So just having the intention and those metaphors help you visualize that intention and and pick whatever metaphors work best with you, you know, and feel it, feel it when you, when you get rid of those dysfunctional things, feel the weight being taken off your shoulders, feel the, ah, you know, the positive feelings, the relationships suddenly aren't nearly as dire and awful as they look like, you know, now that that's pulled out, now that you're no longer throwing fire or throwing gasoline on that fire. Oh, that fire just kind of, burns out now without you throwing gasoline on it. Feel that. Feel the goodness of it. Feel the correctness. Feel where it goes. Feel what that might mean in your life. You know, what that might look like in your behavior. Visualize that. So these are some tools you can use when you do these meditations. And the kind of meditation you're doing um, is exactly what what creates this because it's an open-ended. You're not you're not focusing on anything. You're opening up. And when you open up, there you are, you know, playing all the parts, right? And uh, that's what you're going to, that's what you're going to get. You know, here's, here's the drama and you're playing all the parts on all the sides. And that's what you're going to get is yourself. So look at those things, see them for what they are and just intend them away just intend them not to be that way visualize how that what that means in your life visualize yourself interacting maybe with those people who push your buttons who make your rage kind of swell up and the things that they might say to you and the things that they might do to you imagine that and imagine you just walking right through it because you've got an asbestos suit on and that fire isn't going to hurt you and you just aren't going to react like that because You've taken all those negative feelings about yourself and buried them or quenched them or done something else. So picture how that plays out in your life. And you keep doing that, and it will make it happen. So that's one thing. Now, you can try to rewind that that movie that you're watching back to some of the original things that produced those fears in the first place. Sometimes that's helpful to people. Sometimes it isn't. You know, it's not that you have to do that. It's just optional. Because the reason it is sometimes helpful is sometimes it goes back to a specific act or experience that convinced us that we were inadequate or that we weren't who we should have been, weren't lovable, weren't something or other that we wanted to be, 
And when you see it from adult eyes, it's like silly. You know, it's something trivial, and then it's easy to let go of. But oftentimes, there isn't any one thing. It's just been an accumulation of hundreds of things, each adding together to come to that kind of a conclusion. And there isn't really a single thing that, that kicked it off. So you won't always find the, you know, the smoking gun at the end of, you know, what caused this. Sometimes there is no smoking gun that caused it. It just, it, it just pulled together out of, out of hundreds of tiny things that are too tiny to even remember. So. Looking for sources doesn't always work, but it doesn't have to. The main ingredient here is intent, intent not to be like that, not to feel like that, not to have those buttons and using metaphors to reinforce that and then playing forward like future probability, playing forward how you will be different how somebody can up and push that button of yours and it no longer sets off any rage or anger. You just let that go by because you know that's, you know, you're not really like that. You see, so you start seeing yourself differently. As you start seeing yourself and feeling yourself differently, you will become differently. You become different. So that's the way I would say to approach it and the way to to work with it. But I think you've got it in a really good place because where you are now is the, is kind of the, a good space to work on it. You've got it there. You know, it's not just hidden things that happens and you don't know why, you know, you've, you've turned it into pictures. You've turned it into violent things going on. So now you've got symbols for those things that are up in front of you and you know how to repeat this, but you can get in that same meditation. So you've created now a format in which Working on it ought to be pretty straightforward, but it won't necessarily be quick. It's not like in the next week or two, you'll you know finish all that off. It's liable to take years, but you can succeed. You just have your intent focused on the success, see the success, and become it. And you'll see, you'll start making progress. Thanks, Tom. I really appreciate it. And... Even as you're speaking about it, I sort of have like my own version of what that feels like and, you know, to do that and to be that Mm -hmm. and taking that into my meditation as well as just my daily life, just continue to cultivate that intention and and visualizing it. And and it's so helpful, too, to sort of just hear your words, which I feel is very true. It's like we can change. Intent does change that probability because I've come this far, which is pretty far, so I know I can go even further and. It feels challenging, but it's worth it. It's worth the work. So, oh yeah, it's worth the work. Yeah, when you get there, this huge load of weight will just come up off your shoulders, and suddenly, where life was something that you trudged through because you had to, one foot in front of the other, life will be a joy. Uh, It'll just be fun, and all the thing, a lot of things that happen in your life, they'll all be very positive. So it it changes everything. Thank you. Tom Campbell here. I and MBT Events hope you liked this video. We now have well over a thousand hours of free video on this user-friendly, ad-free YouTube channel. Though these videos are free to our viewers, they represent many thousands of hours in production and editing, 
and many thousands of dollars invested in video and audio equipment, along with the required computers and software to store and process the raw video into finished products. So far, all of this content has been funded directly out of our own pockets. Be assured, we will always continue to do what we can. It's our life, our purpose, a labor of love that we will continue to pursue as best we can. However, those pockets are not as deep as they used to be. Thus, we are now seeking to augment our resources with support from our viewers. If you find something of significant value in our videos, please consider supporting their production through our Patreon account or through a one-time donation. The links are in the description below. Thank you.